It's a blessing to be in your midst here this morning, and just by way of a little explanation as to why we're here this morning, why Roger Martin's daughter, Renita, got married yesterday to my nephew, and after the wedding there was a family gathering, so we decided to stay the night and wanted to go to church somewhere, and this was kind of along the way to the path home, so we're here, and it's been a blessing being here. Looks like the Lord is leading all of us in the same direction this morning. Uh, I also want to talk about the body, um, but my slant is just a little bit different, but it does talk about some of the same things. As we think about the human body, my title is, The Human Body is Not Our Own. And let's think for a moment about the human body. The Bible tells us that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and we know that we have a processor in our head that is way stronger than most computers. Uh, we can take in five senses simultaneously and formulate responses and things, although I will admit that some long mathematical sums, computers are better than our, my mind at least, um, although there probably are a few rare people that could maybe keep up with a computer. but. You know, these commands that we formulate within our minds transmits then to our muscles and our facial expressions and our smile or frown or we can sit down or run or pick something up or whatever else we choose to do. We have the capabilities of a modern computer in our mind in many ways. But on the other hand, there's some things that our body is not. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and I would like to read two verses there that tells us on the negative side of what we are not. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, reading from verse 19, I'm sorry, I've got the wrong chapter. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we see here that we're not our own. We're owned by another. And God lays a claim to us, both in our outer body and within our spirit, because it says they're God's. You know, an owner has the privilege to set stipulations for something. If I have a rental home, when someone makes an agreement with me to live in it, I can stipulate I don't want any smoking in the house, no pets, keep the grass cut in a reasonable fashion, and whatever else I would choose to stipulate because I own the house. I'm the owner, and the renter is simply using my possession. And um, I think that's what God is saying here about our body. He says it's mine, and I reserve the right to lay out some rules as to how you use it. Um, so the owner of the house, the owner of our body, has the right to stipulate how their possession is used. And so we, we want it used in a certain way so that it's not ruined or abused or uh, misused. And so uh, in verse 20 here it says, I bought you with a price. You know, if you spend 150000 or maybe in this part, houses are bringing two and three and 400000 If you spend that kind of money on a house, you're very concerned that you don't let the 
thing rot down or the roof go bad and fall in. Uh, we, we want it taken care of a certain way. And God said, I bought you with a price. And we know what that price was, his only precious son, the begotten of the father that came to earth and was treated in such a despicable way. But God had it all in his plan because it was the purchase price for our redemption. God's saying here, I bought you with that price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so, just as the house owner can state, don't smoke, don't do this, or don't do that, God has some things that he doesn't want our bodies used for. And I have four items this morning, and the first one is that our body is not to be used for display. You know, along with the fall of man came a major change in the way that mankind related to their body. Prior to the, whenever Adam and Eve took that fruit there in the garden, says they were naked and they were not ashamed. Um, this is no longer the, the case. You know, we know the biblical story there in Genesis, how that after they took that fruit, they, were, they realized they had an issue and they found those fig leaves and in a crude fashion somehow pieced those together, sewed them together, I think it says, and tried to cover themselves. And God came down and called for them and they hid. And God said, what's the problem, Adam? And he said, I was naked, so I hid myself. And God said, oh, I realize what has happened here. Of course, he probably knew it beforehand. But, you know, we realize in our world today that outside of a committed marriage relationship, that nakedness carries shame with it. God does not want our bodies to be displayed for um, the average person to see. But you know, in, a cult, in the culture that we live in, that we believe has strayed far from God and his principles, nakedness is celebrated. Uh, nakedness is celebrated. That's the world that we live in. It has a distortion of values. And they use their bodies to attract improper attention to themselves. Um, the clothes that we wear sends a message. And it tells other people about us and what we are trying to accomplish in life. It sends a message about our values, and therefore we should dress modestly, reflecting godly values that a revealed body is shameful. And let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and I would like to read a couple verses there, and no doubt very familiar verses, but we'll read them again this morning for the purpose of our study here. 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning to read... In verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness, with sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Okay, let's think for a moment back again about the owner of our body. Using the analogy of the house that is owned by someone and is leased to another, God's saying here, your body is mine. Uh, that claim was laid in the other passage we looked at. And now, as the owner of the body, he's laying out these stipulations here. He said, I want my house that I reside in, your body, to be presented modestly in modest apparel. 
And let's think for a moment in a practical fashion of exactly what that consists of. And I believe that it has to do with how much flesh is revealed and how much the bodily form is exposed. And I think that is what consists of modesty in a basic nutshell. Um, and as people lose the principle of modesty, their hemlines and their sleeves come up and their necklines go down and there's more and more flesh showing. And also then they begin to tighten up the form of the clothing to reveal more of the form that is under it. And, but as we implement the guidelines of our owner, we realize that we don't necessarily want to go there. We definitely don't want to go there. We'll cover, we'll conceal, because that's what God has asked us to do as the owner. And as a, on a practical side now, you know, a person that dresses to reveal actually exploits the opposite sex. Um, you know, for a young lady or woman of any kind that dresses with an intent to attract attention is digging into the vulnerabilities of the men. And the men that wear clothing that tight, is tight on their body and maybe shorts and such like and uh, muscle shirts or shorter sleeve shirts that reveal what their body form is like, uh, they are playing into the vulnerabilities of the ladies. And so, you know, for men, we'll wear long pants that are looser fitting and shirts at all times and that are not form-fitting and that have adequate sleeve length. But you know, there's many ways that we can show and attract ourselves. And so we, let's think about this principle. First of all, the body is not for display. And thinking further then, the body is not to be decorated. Um, you know, we talked about the covering of the body, and now let's shift the focus. We want to talk about decorations. And here in the passage, it talks about things that can be added to the body or person to draw attention. But the sentence starts out, not with. And so recognizing again the ownership of God over us, he says, I want my temple to be not to be decorated in this way. And so the fallen heart of mankind attempts to achieve some form of significance in some way. Uh, and often it's by adorning. The body is not to be decorated. Uh, you know, we as men have a weakness to expose our strength and masculinity by building up our muscles and flexing those things, and, or a faster car, or a loud truck, or some kind of powerful position. And, you know, there's probably other things that could fall into that category. You know, in years past, people would dress up to be somebody special, and in today's world, it seems like they might dress down. But, you know, there are ways that we do things and decorate ourselves in order to uh, prove that we are somebody. But, you know, the draw for women primarily is to measure their feminine significance through their beauty. But verse 10 here offers an alternative. It says... Um, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. As we think about that, that's the way God wants us to be adorned. And that was already referred to here this morning, as we've noticed. But let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, and there's a parallel passage here 
that we'll notice also some thoughts from. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning to read in verse 3. Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection under their own husbands. As we look at this passage here, you know, we've talked about how that we can use things to exploit the opposite sex. And, you know, when men use their strength to exploit women, or when women use their beauty to attract men, it's a problem. And God is saying, I don't want us to go there as Christian people. Your body is mine, and I don't want it to be used in that way. And, you know, not only is it a problem when we exploit um, the others in sensual means, you know, there is a problem when we measure ourselves and compare ourselves as man to man or woman to woman. Um, you know, and it talks here about attractive add-ons that can be put on and that would attract uh, adornments. And it brings out here how that um, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair. And, you know, we would take that to mean arranging the hair in some form of a way that would attract attention. And, you know, I believe our veiled heads on our ladies is very becoming. But, you know, it's so easy if a person is wanting to attract attention to start jazzing up the front of it in some form or fashion that grabs people's attention. And, you know, it's not enough just to keep it nice and smooth and comb, comb, smoothly combed back. But, you know, it talks here about the hair and... Um, or the wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. And so, uh, you know, it talks about these things that can be added on or adorned that would draw attention to us. And I know we have a principle against jewelry, and I believe it's a biblical-based one, and I believe it's one that we need to put our hearts into. You know, we don't wear those things because God says, I don't want that on my temple and we want to please our owner. And so we are committed to not adorning. Um, you know, but in contrast here, it says, let it not be this, let it not be that. But instead in verse four, but let it be. So actually God does have a way he wants his temple to be adorned. And he describes it here as the hidden man of the heart the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. So yes, God does want his temple to be adorned. And he tells us here what it is. It's not some add on something that is fabricating some artificial value for us, but instead is something that wells up from within through the spirit of the indwelling spirit of the living Christ that is within us that gives us power and strength to face the obstacles of life with a winsome spirit and a heart that is desirous to work for the good of our fellow man. And God said, those things I value. If you want to adorn yourself, put those on and my blessing will shine on you and you'll be blessed in such a way. And I'm not talking about necessarily um, financial blessing. God's spiritual blessings will rest on us 
when we follow his instructions for his possession, our body. And so we're emphasized, or we're instructed to emphasize our character, things such as pride and bitterness. And our brother here in the devotional this morning talked about some of these things, but pride and bitterness and sensuality and greed and arrogance and rebellion and individualism and the list could go on of other things that could be negatives that are not of an ornament of a meek and quiet spirit need to be rooted out by the spirit of Christ in our regenerated heart. And God desires to replace these things with humility and love and propriety. He wants us to be forgiving and submissive and to depend on each other. And as we develop and display these spiritual values, the thing that God wants to show in our life, we reflect the spirit of Christ to a world that is unregenerated. And we think about the uh, ones that are in Haiti, as far as to my knowledge, still apprehended and held by those kidnappers. You know, they probably are going, I assume that they're going through tremendous values, but they have such an opportunity to show the spirit of Christ to those ungodly and um, violent men. And so we keep continue to pray that God would give them the grace as they do that. But for us here today, as we walk and rub shoulders with others, it's important that we display God's values. Um, you know, the world is increasingly sensual and increasingly self-centered and increasingly want to show out in some form that is ungodly, that they are somebody special. But you know, as God's people, we believe that it, it works against God's will as given here to use jewelry and most cosmetics that would doctor up a person and grab attention. Being in Christ can free us from this kind of bondage. And you know, the world's value system with false beauty standards have pressures through advertising and through what we see in others um, that we would take some of these things and start to use them. But we need to see it as it is, I believe, that it is not of God. Let us strive for the beauty that God values. Our body is not for adorning with external things, but instead for adorning with a hidden man of the heart that has been committed to God and that is committed to his service. Thirdly, then, I would like to notice that our body is not for desecration. And, you know, this probably isn't a temptation to very many of us, but yet I think we need to be aware of what's going on and drive in a stake that is not going to come into our circles. You know, with our culture's rise in sensuality, has led to a decrease in the value of the unmarred body. You know, as man, we are the image bearer of God, and the enemy has always tried to destroy God's work. Think back to the time of Elijah, the Baal worshipers there on Mount Carmel. They cut themselves, and they marred their bodies as they pled with their false god to bring down fire from heaven. And then that demoniac man that Christ encountered there in the tombs, I believe it was, uh, said he raved and he was naked and he abused himself physically. 
And then there was that possessed boy that Jesus came into contact with that uh, the devils threw into the fire. And Satan tries to steal and to destroy and to kill. And I believe he incites people today to mar their bodies. And we see a reemergence of pagan forms of body desecration in tattooing and body piercings and cuttings. You know, only a few years ago, these things were limited to a few subcultures that we hardly ever contacted. But it's become mainstream. I see it everywhere. Um, recently, we had a, uh, or not, this, the, my encounter with a man was recent, but about 15 years ago, there was a man that had a building supply store in our local town, and he and his wife operated it, and they had a thriving business but they got caught up in drugs and the wife was gone for a few weeks at a time. They said she was off in rehab and, and she was sort of the backbone of the business. And eventually she um, ended up and disappeared. And after a period of time, the business failed. And I encountered that man in a CVS drugstore a couple weeks ago and he was wearing shorts and his arms and legs were fully covered with tattoos and his head was shaved and he had tattoos on his neck and back up the back of his head to about the middle of his skull above his ears. And it was appalling to see a human body that God created that he would desire, have desired his image and imprint to be stamped upon, to have that type of a appearance from that person. And I think really that it's shocking to see how quickly these things have popped into popular culture and have been embraced and accepted by our culture. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 19. I, I don't have a New Testament passage that points this out, but we know that the Old Testament people were uh, God's people, that he wanted to show his glory through them to the roundabout cultures, and here's what he had to say to them about their bodies. Uh, verse Leviticus 19, verse 28. Ye shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. As I said, this was his instruction of concerning these type of things, doing some sort of desecration to their body in the Old Testament as his people. And I, like I said, I don't know of a New Testament passage that would parallel this, but as we think about our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit and how that things actually, um, you might say, tightened up a little bit in the New Testament compared to the Old Testament, you know, take the issue of divorce. God said, I, I allowed it because of the hardness of your heart. But Jesus said from the beginning it was not so. And so things changed in the New Testament and if anything became a little more um, encompassing because of the power of the Spirit of the indwelling Holy Spirit within us. And so here in the Old Testament he said, I don't want you to cut your bodies or print any marks on them. And I don't think that means we can't have an operation if we have a problem. But doing something for out of desperation because we, like the ones there did on Mount Carmel or in the New King James Version, it says, tattoo any marks. And so, you know, I believe it's God's will that we keep an unmarred body as much as is practical. Uh, I don't think God's will has changed on this. 
And the New Testament theology regarding our body needs to follow the command, have nothing to do with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And so as we think about this angle this morning, our body is not for desecration. Fourthly, then, I would like to look at the angle that our body is not for destruction. You know, the final act that is done to the body is that of burial. And as we think about, even as um, the angle of desecration has quickly been accepted by society, it's equally quick, uh, so quickly how that uh, cremation has become main mainstream in America. You know, as we think about the angle of cremation versus burial, why, you know, there can be arguments coming both ways. Uh, you know, if you're talking about advocating cremation, you can say, well, there's burial space is getting tight, and I don't really see that out in the country. But anyway, people talk about that and how that uh, there's cost and there's convenience and probably some other angles. If you wanted to promote burial, you can say, well, there's closure and it helps you with the grieving process to be able to view the body and those type of things. But let's step back a step from all of that and say, what about the theology of the body? What's the best way that we can show respect to our body as the temple of the Holy Spirit? You know, even after it's been vacated, I believe it's not ours to destroy, but it belongs to God. You know, throughout history, pagans have burned bodies and Christians have buried. We have historical precedent for thousands of years that that is primarily the way it has worked. And in the Bible, we see that burning of a body is connected with judgment or heathenism or idolatry in some form or another. And it seems twisted to accept a pagan practice that rep represents judgment. So I believe that God endorsed burial like he did with Jesus to await the trumpet sound. So in summary this morning, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's created by God, owned by him, and designed to reflect his holy character. And we don't worship it or disfigure it or trash it. So thinking for a moment here in summary, we cover it to protect its dignity. We create beauty with good works and with the godly spirit instead of add-on adornment. We respect and honor it and not commit ourselves to not disfigure it because it's God's creation and he willed it that way. And we lay it to rest as a temple where God has resided 